Hey, I'm Veronica Jans, and I'm obsessed with backends, specifically your business backend, your operations, and I'm the CEO and founder of Business Laid Bare. We're a digital operations agency that builds well-lubricated and orgasmic operations so that your business is pleasurable, productive, and ultimately profitable. Because when you feel good, everything else feels good too, like your team, your customers, and your bank account. I mean, who doesn't want to consent to that? This podcast gives you the tips, interviews, and mindset shifts on how to run your business and its operations so that it's immensely pleasurable, productive, and profitable. So, ready to whip your business into shape with me? Let's get it on. Okay, so welcome back, everybody, like listeners new and not new alike, to another episode of The Business Whip. So I'm your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm Veronica, and I'm so excited to bring on Tin Kim today for an interview because what she is doing is so exciting, and this is actually the first time that we're actually getting to chat in person. So what better way to do it than record it and for people to hear like all the amazingness that goes on in your life? So Tin Kim, welcome to the episode, and yeah. Who are you? What do you do? I'm really excited to be here. And it's actually fun to hear you actually to say my name, Tin Kim, in Vietnamese instead of the version I give everyone else. So I'm Tin Kim Lem, and I like to talk about sex, toys, and pleasure. (laughs) And you are a perfect guest. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine not, not doing what I do. So the tangible stuff that I do is I am a debut author. I just released a book called Happy Endings, where the heroine is Vietnamese American, and she sells sex toys. So I might have drawn on some personal experience about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I also run a subscription box called Body Bookworms, which is the perfect pairing of my love of romance books and toys. So basically, I curate these fun boxes. They're themed. And I pick a very, very spicy romance and then pair a toy with it. Kind of like wine pairings, but a lot more exciting. Oh my gosh, I love this because I don't drink wine. So it's like I would rather read and like have orgasms. So what better way than to stimulate my body and my mind? So that's what you're doing with body bookworms. Yeah, right. I mean, I've been reading romances since I was a teenager. And that's how I learned about sex at the beginning. And some of them got me really aroused. And back then, I didn't know what I was doing. And I thought like, there are grown women like me who read these and get aroused. And we take a break for a little playtime or some one handed reading. So why not include all those components? that you need when you're reading this book. Oh, I have perfected the one-handedness. I love this. So I guess this episode, where we're heading with all this is we're going to focus a lot on pleasure, like pleasure for ourselves and creating pleasure for our audience. And that ultimately leads to a business right now that feels orgasmic. Like, cause like your face, like just, at least I get to pleasure of seeing it is completely lit up. Right. So it's like, I can only imagine that this is amazing. Was it always this good from the beginning? Or did you have to do some like tweaks? Oh, of course not. I had no idea what I was doing in the beginning when I started. So Body Bookworms turned six years in August. So very soon. And when I first started, I did not have any experience with online businesses. And my first launch, I sold one box. (laughs) It was awful. Because I was thinking, wow, this business is such a great idea. No one's done anything like this. So why wouldn't people want it? And I forgot that when you're selling 
toys, you're not really selling the toys. You're selling this idea of taking pleasure in your own hands, literally, right? And people are worried, like they don't know what to do. Or maybe they're like, they're holding this device. Like, what is this? Is this going to, they have so many worries and fears. And I didn't think about that when I was launching. So I actually, after I cried and had a little pity party, because you know you have to acknowledge that feeling, I got back to work and I focused on building a community. So I started a Facebook group where I could really talk to most of my customers are women and talk to women about sex and pleasure and how toys can really help them, whether they're playing solo or with a partner. And I do try to emphasize that you don't need a partner for toys. I think that's a huge misconception. A partner or more can make it a lot more fun, but it's not a requirement, right? We can have pleasure on our own. And we don't even need a toy for pleasure in general, right? But I think that toys really enhance that experience. So I, I built that community so I could educate because that's really why this business is so exciting to me is that I get to all these people discover new things about their body and discover things that make them feel good. And here I am, I'm like the the guide, right? I'm like, here's a fun thing you can try, or here's a book you should read if you're interested in exploring this fantasy. And I want to be there to help people just be happier and live better lives. Would you say that being an author is considered a business? Like, I don't want to mess up in terms of how I address this. So that's why I'm like, is being an author first a business? And second, like, why are all these endeavors that you dabble in, not dabble, that's the wrong word. You're like all in. So why books? Books for me are so important. You're right. Being an author is a business. People think that publishing books, like you can be a writer and not have it be a business. But if you want to be a published author and make a career out of it, you really do have to look at it as a business. What you're writing, does it appeal to the current market? You have to find the intersection of what the story that you want to tell and your creativity and what's going to sell. I mean, if you don't want to sell books, that's totally fine. Then it's not a business, right? It's a hobby. Same thing with any business. And for me, like storytelling is important because I grew up reading a lot of books with people who do not look like me, a lot of white people, especially in romances. I've always been drawn to this beautiful love story of finding someone who really gets you and brings out the best in you. All right. And then they have great sex together. Like that's (laughs) got to have all of those things (laughs) for me. And as I became older and I wanted to find books that represented who I am and people look like me, I couldn't find them. And I couldn't find the stories, the stories I would find. So I'm in an interracial relationship. And the stories I found were a lot about, if I could find them, where the, the plots were about race, the conflict was about race, somebody didn't approve, or one of the family members or whatever. And I thought, like, that is really an important story and it's very valid. But I wanted to bring stories that brought joy, right? Asian joy, Vietnamese joy specifically, because that's my background. People falling in love without the that struggle of dealing with who they are, like their ethnicity, like that's such an important part. Asian people have been in the United States for many, many years, and yet we're still treated like outsiders, right? So the stories that the mainstream seem to tell over and over are those like, oh, we have to give up a part of our ethnicity to belong in the United States, to be quote unquote American. But I don't want that in my stories. I want these people are all in. They're American. All their friends accepted them as American. And they're proud of who they are. And they would never date someone who wasn't comfortable with that, right? Comfortable with their ethnicity. So that's not a big factor in my stories, which does tell to 
body bookworm. So we have a monthly box called Body Quickie. And my focus on there is finding diverse romances. And that's when I say diverse, I mean, across many, many spectrums, obviously, it's going to be tough. I'm going to make mistakes and not be able to include everybody, but I'm trying my best to include a wide spectrum from ethnicity to sexual orientation to different types of relationships. So we've included books about polyamorous couples, Black, Hispanic, Asian, queer romances. So I'm trying really to hit all the spectrums. So I love that you were so cognizant of this. Like this is so, well, so appreciated. And you touched upon being Asian because I'm also Asian. I'm Chinese. And how do our heritage like play into like sex? It seems like it's not, at least for me, I'll just speak for myself. Like sex is not something that we talk about. My mom and my dad, we never had to talk about sex. Like that was like, you're like, you're going to learn that in school kind of thing. And like PDA, even like saying I love you is not something that's, really looked up upon in my family because they would rather me show my love than say it. So how does sex play into your Asian culture? It does not. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise, surprise. I remember my only sex talk was don't get pregnant. (laughs) They didn't say how, (laughs) how that was supposed to happen. (laughs) But believe it or not, I got my, I wouldn't say sex education, reproduction education at my CCD classes. I was raised Catholic. So we actually had classes in middle school where they taught about productive health. That was my sex education (laughs) for my family. So mine was, aside from like in fifth grade where they make you like watch those videos and then like we watched the females first and then we had to watch like the male reproductive systems videos. After that, I discovered this book called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. So then I read that book. So that was my sex education as a kid. Like I was 10, yeah, I was 10 years old when I read that book because I was like, oh, is this like a space book? No, it's not. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why I got into romances at first. I'm like, hey, surely they're talking about sex here. And back then it was, you know, in the 90s, a lot of the sex was very vague and all heterosexual, of course, because that's what I can get my hands on, was the guy knew exactly what to do, but they never named the body parts, the actual names. It was always like his member or I don't know, like something totally cheesy. (laughs) We've come a long way because even in in my book, I use terms. Oh, I don't know if I can say this on your podcast, but of course you can. I mean, I write cock and dick in my in my book, because that's how everyday people call those body parts, right? And I think that's important to have that language, because knowing what to call things is the first step and being comfortable with using those terms is also really important. So what systems did you have to create for yourself to be able to like, write a book on time? And also make sure that you're curating your boxes, like you're running two businesses then. So like all these things sound great and all, but how are you still staying sane? Like, I want to know that. (laughs) Well, there were some tough moments. Now, I had already written my book when it was bought. So as a debut author, they usually don't buy your book on proposal for fiction writers anyway. So the book of it was written, but I had a lot of edits, different rounds of edits. And that was during a pandemic. It was thing challenges that even if I had systems, they might not have worked for me at the time. I prefer to work in time blocks. So I'll block off Mm -hmm. days or hours to work on different projects so that my brain doesn't have to switch back and forth 
constantly because that just really messes with my productivity. But as for writing, like I am so new at this, like I don't know what systems work best for me. And because writing is such like a, a long-term project, right? So like my boxes, I can go month to month and say, hey, that didn't work in May. I'm going to do this for July. But I can't say that about my writing because it's like 80 something thousand words. <laughs> it's going to take me more than a couple of weeks to go through and figure out my system. So I'm hoping I have set up systems for my current book that I'm writing. And I hope that that works. But I think when it comes to something that requires so much creativity, you have to balance systems and then acknowledging the creative process. That's all to say is I don't know what my writing, but my box, I do have systems. <laughs> and the good thing is it's more or less the same when curating my box. It's just um, rinse and repeat. And I have a Notion dashboard when I do keep the steps. And I don't like look at them every month because I kind of know, but I know that it's there for when I am able to bring on a team member. So that's what I'm, what I'm trying to do is like document those processes. So they're there for oh, when I'm ready to expand. That gets me hot and bothered. <laughs> I am so in love with Notion at first. I think I've been using it for a year now and I just love how I could nerd out over it. And I'm sure that I'm not using it to what it's capable of, but it does what I want. I'm a mixture of paper and digital planning. I love it. But so long as it makes you excited to use it, so long as it prompts you to want to document, because like we were talking before we hit record, like the things that we do repeatedly, they're called habits. But then once you document that, that actually finally becomes a process to me. Like that's the difference between habits and process. Like somebody asked me that question. So I'm like, oh yeah, that's true. We do things every day. We don't think about them. But like the moment we write them down, it's now living outside of our brains and it makes our lives so much easier. So the fact that you're like prepping your business for the future this much and anchoring it in Notion, because we use Notion as our knowledge base as well, it's just awesome. And yes, even though we have tasks like ClickUp task templates and Google Docs, and I even use Miro for my like mind mapping or create loom videos, it's like all of it is scattered about, but it's all anchored and centralized in Notion. And we have like this area that allows us to see where the documentation origin is. So I love that you chose Notion as that home base. Yeah, I like it because it's so open ended. You know, I can do whatever I want, though that's what made it intimidating when I first started. <laughs> and I have to say that I am not great at consistency. I don't know if you've ever taken your the Gallup strengths, but consistency is number 34 for me. So it's like way at the bottom. So I have to be cognizant of that. If I'm creating these systems and processes that I know that there's flexibility because I don't like feeling hemmed in by having to do mm -hmm. exactly what this says I'm supposed to do. Yeah, I love that. Like, I hate rigidity, but I embrace what I call like structured freedom a lot. Like, I'm creating like boundaries and rail guards, but then at the same time, I'm free to like bounce around. So, like, as so long as I know I have this like tunnel that I need to go from one end to the other, it doesn't matter how I like balance it as long as it's like contained in that tunnel. And then at the end of the day, I make it or wherever, whenever, make it to the end of the tunnel. So, it's all about just making sure what works. And so I love that you focused on time blocking. Like, did you always know that time blocking was your thing? Or did it take a few iterations to understand how you worked best? So I've always been a multi-passionate person. I'm doing a lot of projects. And I learned, I don't know when this was, because I've been time blocking for several years now that I work best when I can 
focus on one thing at a time. That is so me. One project. I call them projects because I used to write a blog, do food blogging, freelance. I mean, I did like everything trying to, because I had small kids, so I couldn't, I was the primary caretaker, so I couldn't work a regular nine to five job. I don't know where it is where you are, but childcare in the DC area is ridiculous. It's basically like another, you would work a full-time job to pay for daycare. So I opted to stay home and had to find like different freelance jobs. So I learned if I didn't block off time to focus on like one thing at a time after the kids were in bed or napping, that I would never get it done. So what does your day-to-day look like? Well, my kids are older now. They're pretty self-sufficient. So my day-to-day is, well, my pandemic day-to-day is um, (laughs) (laughs) once I'm up in the morning, I have a small office. We finally added curtains about six months ago. So I feel like I have my own private space and I check my planner. So on Sundays, Sunday nights, I sit down and like loosely plan out my weekend, what I want to get done during the weekend, what days are best for each kind of work. And I'll look at my planner and say, hey, is this still like, good for today? And then I'll figure out like, what's the priority? Work on that first and then go down the list and do other things. But I try to put like tasks and like tomorrow my planner have like Q3 goal planning. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do those task things like in my business and then on my business. I love it. So did staying at home make it easy for you just to like choose a subscription box model as a way to generate income or actually why did you choose to do a subscription box model? That's a very good question. I have experience in sales. So I used to be a consultant for an in-home like toy company. I did that for 12 or 13 years. Was really good at my job, but I <laughs> wanted to, <laughs> I didn't want to leave my home as often. Like I was going out like two or three times a night to do shows, right? And I just was tired of that grind and DC traffic. And I wanted to do something where I could do it all from home, online. And I thought, why not the subscription model? It's like a book club. Here's like a box you get every every month. And you can read the book and then we'll have book club discussions. Because I missed that interaction with people, right? As a mom with small kids at the time, it was just wasn't easy for me to like leave the house for a couple hours to go to a book club. And I'm an introvert. So finding a new book club, so intimidating. <laughs> it's funny people think like, oh, you talk about sex toys all day, but you're afraid to like talk to a stranger. <laughs> but if I'm talking about sex toys to a stranger, I can do that. <laughs> but I wanted the subscription model because I wanted that recurring income. I wanted people to like feel part of something, right? And not make it purely transactional, not just to buy this thing and run away with it and not come back. Like, because I think the experience about buying a new, a new to you toy, when you like it, you want to share that with somebody. And I wanted to give people a space. So, you know, our Facebook group, Body Bookworms Insiders, it's open to anybody. You don't have to be a subscriber to join. You can go in and say, hey, I really like this book that was in last month's box. Like, can you recommend me more books, queer romances that have a lot of steam in them? Or can you recommend books with autistic characters? Things like that. Because I can't read everything. Like, I am not the expert. I'm the expert at putting books and toys together, but I'm not the expert on romances or toys, right? Because I wanted to give people that community and they can experience this box together. And of course, like recurring income is always nice. It doesn't hurt. You don't constantly have to to find new customers whenever you are uh, launching a product, right? And I think like having a monthly item 
gives me a good promotion calendar. Like I know what I'm going to be talking about next month. I can hype it up. I can do the same things like reveal the theme of the box, reveal the book, working on adding author interviews so that I can create these systems of how I'm going to promote this box so that I don't really have to think about something unless it's not working for us, right? So that I can kind of slot that in. I love how you anchored the subscription box model to be in alignment with how you wanted to live. Like going out two to three times, you said a night or a week? Mm -hmm. A week. With small kids? That doesn't sound sustainable at all. Like I would be so stressed out. So I love that you chose a business model and a way of working that honors how you want to thrive. And I think that's something that's not celebrated enough because people think I should do this or so-and-so said I have to run my business this way. So thank you so much for bringing that up and for just standing strong in how you want to live your life in a way that brings you so much pleasure and joy and for your family too, so that they see you. Yeah. Well, I want to acknowledge that I couldn't have done any of this without my partner because he's the one working the nine to five job with the health insurance. And, you know, when you have kids, you need health insurance or I mean, you don't need it, but it's very, very, very helpful. So he was the one that was, he supported me. Anytime I said, Hey, I want to start a subscription box. And he says, do it. Or I said, Hey, I think I want to write a romance book. Go for it. You know, <laughs> he's my hype person. Like he's my, my best cheerleader. And he is in the back doing all those things to support me while I'm out here, like blabbing about toys. So he doesn't complain about helping me try out new products. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So what's next for you? Like you seem to have so many things on the horizon. What's next? Well, I would really love to grow body bookworms even more so that I can bring on team members and really focus on growing our community and really like focus on the education part, right? Educating people about pleasure and different toys and helping them find diverse romances. I think that that is super important to me is that giving people the opportunity to read books outside of their personal experiences can help them learn more about other people and cultures and help create empathy, right? When we understand people and what they're going through. And romance is great about that. If you're going on an emotional journey with these characters, then you can understand where people are coming from so that they can see that love is love. And here are people falling in love and they are flawed like everyone, but they are beautiful. And that's what I want with Body Book Arms. As for my writing career, I want to write more books with Vietnamese characters doing things that people don't expect us to be doing to get us out of that bubble of whatever those stereotypes that the media has put our culture in. So so for me, uh-huh. we have to be good girls. Like we're touted as we have to be really obedient and we are kind of like that seen and not heard, except I am like, look at it, I'm wearing yellow today. So it's just like, you see me and you hear me. So I love that you are writing books that are challenging the paradigm or the expectations or what society expects from us, right? So being someone who is Chinese, like I'm really applauding what you're doing. This is not something that we get to talk about enough. And so I'm really excited for you to like spearhead this conversation and doing it with your style and flavor make it steamy, make it romantic, make them kinky. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I would think maybe in the future. We'll see. This set of books, we're going to keep it. For us, it'll be vanilla. But I think for <laughs> I've, I had a lot of people tell me that Happy Endings was very steamy, very sexy for them. And they were blushing as they read it. So I think Aww. we're going to have to warm people up to the kink. <laughs> I volunteer's tribute if you need, like, what goes on in, like, the kinky world, especially from someone who's Chinese. So that's a different topic for a different day as to how to navigate the kink and BDSM scene while being Chinese. And, like, we are already a walking fetish as it is. So it's like, how do you make sure that boundaries are set so you're protected and safe? So... (laughs) Oh, that would That's be a, a conversation really, for really good time. conversation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but we will leave everybody wanting more. Yeah, wanting more. Okay. So before we close out this episode, I would love for you to tell our listeners, like, what are you going to do to make your business even more orgasmic than it already is? Like, it can always be better, right? So what are you going to be doing, like, in the next three months or so to have more business orgasms? Yeah, I am looking on to hire out tasks that I don't enjoy doing that are not orgasmic. So I actually just brought in my first part-time assistant and we're working on onboarding and making sure our working styles mesh well together. But I would love to bring on more people to take away all those pesky little things so I can read books and go attend meetings about new vibrators. I love it. So what are some of those things that you do not enjoy doing so that people kind of are like, oh, okay, I have some ideas too? Funny enough, even though I I used to do it for clients, is that social media, because there are so many little bits and pieces that go together, like, it just becomes a slog, right? And because I don't like like having to figure out the algorithm every time it changes, I would love to have someone (laughs) take that over. And I recently got moderators from my community. So I don't really have to be in the group anymore. So that's good. What else would I bookkeeping? That definitely does not bring me bring me pleasure. <laughs> I always tell my friends, I'm like, I'm great at counting money, but I'm terrible at math. <laughs> That's what spreadsheets are for. I, I've even bought spreadsheets to do it. I'm like, but I don't want to enter all the information. <laughs> But it's a part of business. And so that's why we talk about these things. Like, you know, everybody experiences these things. Like, it's not just us or you, listener. Like, oh, am I not the only one that doesn't like bookkeeping? Because I'm supposed to, right? Because I'm an entrepreneur. I need to – it's like, no, you stay in your zone of genius. Focus on what does well to bring in the money so that somebody else can take care of the books and other things for you. Right. And if you're like me, where I didn't feel like I was in a position to hire anyone, I had a running list. I think it's in my notion doc, like tasks to hire out. So every time I would work on something like, oh, I don't want to work on this, I would add it to that list so that, you know, the time came, I looked like, what's the priority on this list for me to hire out? Oh, this is amazing. So I really appreciated that you said yes to coming on my podcast to talk about like being Asian, being such a loud and proud proponent of sex positivity and pleasure for everybody. Like, is there anything that you'd like to share before our time here comes to an end? And we'll make sure that your book is linked into the show notes, your Facebook group, all the ways that we can find you. We'll make sure that people can find you. But yeah, what is something that you can tell us? If you enjoy reading romances, especially very sexy ones, and or talking about sex toys, I invite you to join our Facebook community. It's free and open to everyone who is 
cool, right? <laughs> if you like sex toys and romances, you're automatically cool. It's called Body Bookworms Insiders. Mm-hmm. And send a request and I'll see you in there. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I am cheering you on with everything that you're doing because it is so important. So that's it. That's the episode. Like you are doing the good work that needs to be done and so that we can have the conversations that desperately need to be had. So thank you for baking that into your business and having it be pleasurable, productive, and ultimately profitable for you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and chat with you about pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Business Whip, hosted by yours truly, Veronica Jans, CEO and founder of Business Laid Bare. If you enjoyed this episode, spank that subscribe button in whichever podcast app you're listening in and share this with your friends. Your support means everything. So thank you from the bottom of my butt, because let's be real, it's so much bigger than my heart. I'll see you in the next episode.